0: We're going to start with a little bit of a quiz. Has anybody here played Balderdash? No.
1: No? Oh, somebody has. Right, jolly good.
0: Am I going?
1: Move the screen on the back. Excellent. Super.
0: Okay, well, we're going to start with a game of Balderdash. It's a game where you guess the meaning of obscure words. So this is your first word. Any ideas? Okay, I'll give you three choices to make it easier. So does it mean a peach-scented bleach? Does it mean the curved handle of a plough? Or does it mean the interweaving of tree branches?
1: So who reckons it's number one? Oh, nobody, right? Who reckons it's number two? Mm. A few of you, yes. All right, who reckons it's number three?
0: Oh, right, let's see. Hooray, number three, the interweaving of tree branches. Okay, next one. <coughs> Corbgorbel.
1: I'm sure you've got one of those at home somewhere.
0: Right ho Is it the call of a female turkey? Does it mean to wander aimlessly, or does it mean to speak with your mouthful?
1: Right, who reckons is number
0: one? Oh, well done. Oh, three good, people,
1: guess yeah. two people. Oh, no, four people, right, okay. Number two? Oh, we're getting more now, getting more, yes, right. And what about number three? Mm, okay. Oh, I think it's number two, has it?
0: Oh, and there. you're right. You're right. right, well
1: done. Oh, well okay. done. Arr. So we'll go and whore when we leave this place. We'll wander aimlessly. <laughs> The Bible and the Bible commentaries would be a good source of for Balderdash. Mm-hmm. After all, there are words like eschatology and trans, sub, sub, uh, what is it?
0: transubstantiation.
1: Thank you very much. <laughs> See, I can't even say it. <clears throat> and and they're not, these words aren't used in everyday conversation. And, well, at least I don't think it's not in our house. They're not, anyway. Uh, the NIV title to our sermon gives us another word which is, is, could well be used in Balderdash, Beatitudes. And uh, the word here is a declaration of blessedness from Jesus in chapter 5. We'll make more sense of that word as we go on. But if we remember that the Beatitudes Jesus spoke of are how to be attitudes towards God, our neighbors, and our opponents, how to be attitudes towards God, our neighbors. And our opponents.
0: So, this passage in Matthew 5 comes right at the start of Jesus' public ministry and follows on from his baptism, in which the fulfillment of John's prophecy of of a Messiah is revealed. Jesus went on from there to be tested by the devil in the wilderness, where we see Jesus deliberately choosing the way he will go about his ministry and rejecting the ways that are against his Father's will. And then last week, we heard about Jesus selecting his disciples and beginning their training. And that brings us to today's passage. And today, Jesus begins by sitting down. (coughs) Now, rabbis would wander around doing their preaching in the temple, But each rabbi had their own little group of disciples and when they seriously wanted to teach, they sat down and their disciples gathered around them. And this is what Jesus is doing at the start of this passage.
1: The Sermon on the Mount from which our passage comes actually covers the whole of chapters 5 to 7. It's probably not just one sermon but several put together by Matthew to demonstrate Jesus' teaching. Matthew's collected Jesus' sayings, collated them, and then put them together under various headings, which you see there in the Bible. And this first section is called the Beatitudes, which literally means blessedness. We're wonderfully blessed, as we were with that tin with the children. Through the Beatitudes and the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew sees Jesus as countercultural. He's drawing crowds, making an impact. And contrary to politicians, he doesn't tell them what they want to hear.
0: Now, the sermon would have been delivered in Aramaic and in the present tense. In other words, the Beatitudes are not about blessings postponed to some future time, not nebulous prophecies of future bliss, but they're congratulations about what is It exists here and now. Not something the Christian will enter into, but something we have entered. Praise God. And that's perhaps alluded to by Paul in Philippians 4, 12 to 13, when he says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. Paul had learned not to put a brave face on things, but maybe to enter into God's provision of need now discovering the blessedness which can belong to each one of us, to every Christian.
1: So we're going to go through those Beatitudes now, but we're going to add the world's take on them, perhaps. So...
0: Right at the beginning of that passage, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.
1: But the world says... Blessed are the rich in material wealth because they'll pull all the strings and they'll have all the nice things.
0: Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted.
1: The world says, blessed are those who put on a stiff upper lip and pretend they aren't hurting because vulnerability is weakness.
0: Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth.
1: The world says, blessed are the aggressive because nice guys finish last.
0: Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied.
1: And the world says, Blessed are those who have low expectations, because then they'll never be disappointed.
0: Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy.
1: The world says, Blessed are the merciless, because they'll be the CEOs.
0: Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God.
1: And the world says, blessed are the people who only care about morality when it's convenient, because then it's a much easier life. Jesus says,
0: blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.
1: The world says, blessed are those who don't take a hard stand for anything, because persecution isn't fun or easy.
0: Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account.
1: And the world says, blessed are the tolerant and the politically correct." because they're way more open-minded and progressive than those miserable, moralistic Christians.
0: So which view do we subscribe to? Well, we're going to look more closely at what Jesus is really saying to us as he presents us with a challenge, a choice, and a journey to go on.
1: So first of all, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven heaven. Jesus began training his disciples by saying blessed are the poor in spirit. He's not talking about how they might feel after a long cold night with no catch of fish or how we might feel on a bleak dreary Monday morning tomorrow when the alarm goes off. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now who are those? Well people who recognize their utter helplessness and their own spiritual poverty as they come into God's presence, and then in return, receive blessing. This is the first step into the light of truth, Jesus is saying. It's the first step of recognizing our condition before God. To be poor in spirit is to be more than humble. It is like comparing myself to perfection of Jesus and accepting the truth. I, I I not only do not measure up, But I'm like a miserable beggar standing by a king. In Luke 18, remember the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee that Jesus told about uh, as they were going up to pray in the temple. The Pharisee was proud of himself before God. He said, in effect, thanks the Lord, I am much better than other people. But the tax collector wouldn't even look up but begged, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So, Jesus says, which one of those uh, would receive God's blessing? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus will begin and end these eight steps, talking about the kingdom of heaven. But step one, recognizing our spiritual poverty is only the launchpad for abundant blessings from God.
0: And the next one, blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. At a particularly difficult time in my life, I found huge comfort in praying through the Psalms. Often as I did so, I would be filled with an indescribable joy as I entered into the comfort that God showed me as I mourned. It didn't take away the pain but it did take me through it. Indeed, the word blessed comes from a word described, used to describe a godlike joy. But there's another side to mourning, which comes from recognising my own spiritual condition before God, and actually that ought to bring me grief. Have you known people who are deep into sin and know it, but... So so what? Not a bit sorry about it. One who's honest about their spiritual poverty, but not moved to godly sorrow can't know God's grace. It's impossible to see ourselves as sinners and to look by faith at Jesus on the cross, suffering for our sins and not be moved to mourn and ask for God's forgiveness. And there is comfort for the person who mourns because of their sin. And in fact, it's that very attitude that leads us on to the next.
1: Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is not a Uriah Heap meekness. For those who remember this character from Charles Dickens, David Copperfield, Uriah was ever so humble but underneath was scheming and planning to gain power. John MacArthur says the Greek word for meek is also translated as gentle in other places in the New Testament. In fact, this meekness is best understood as power under control. Meekness does not connote connote uh, weakness. Emotion out of control (coughs) destroys and has no place in God's kingdom Meekness uses its resources appropriately. Meekness is the opposite of violence and vengeance. Blessed are the meek, says Jesus. A person sees their spiritual poverty, grieves over it, and comes in meekness before God, willing to submit to God's will and way, even in the face of adversity and hardship. Jesus said, God will give the whole world to people like that.
0: Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When a person is redeemed by Jesus Christ, there should be a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. I know that when I became a Christian, all of a sudden, I had a hunger for God's word. I longed to read my Bible. I longed to sing of God's promises and greatness and be with God's people. So easy for us to let that go, isn't it? Jesus promises right here that if you have a hunger for his righteousness, for God's righteousness and for his word, He will satisfy that hunger. More than that, he'll fill us to overflowing.
1: Hallelujah. To hunger and thirst for righteousness has an outward as well as an inward application. Do you remember we just uh, heard of Jill Saywood's death and, um, and her funeral? She was an amazing illustration of someone who hungered and thirsted after righteousness in her years spent coming alongside victims of sexual abuse and in her campaigning for unjust and unfair laws to be changed.
0: Now, some of you know that we lead the marriage course, so we do try and practice what we teach, (laughs) and occasionally we even succeed such as last week when we went out on a date night. Now, for those who've done the marriage course, you'll know all about date nights. So off we went, first to the cinema, went to see La La Land, brilliant, then for an Italian meal. Well, you know what Italian meals are like. They're a bit filling. Well, we arrived hungry, and we tucked into our starter with Lots of a basket full of gorgeous Italian breads and some nice dips. Then our main meal arrived, which smelled amazing, although by now we weren't quite as hungry as we had been when we arrived. Well, we neither of us managed to finish that. And when the waitress came and asked us if we'd like the dessert menu, we both groaned. And on the way home, we vowed we would never eat again. But of course, by next morning, we were more than ready for breakfast. The Italian meal hadn't satisfied us quite as much as we thought. But Jesus pronounces God's blessings do satisfy us. Only when we have a heavenly appetite can you find full satisfaction? And I couldn't resist the Snoopy cartoons.
1: Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But we want justice. We criticise politicians, police, businesses, employees, parents, teachers, neighbours and children. But if anybody criticises us, well, they should show mercy. Why do we often want justice served on others, but cry for mercy for ourselves? A merciless atmosphere makes us w- walk on eggshells. Mercy creates an opportunity, of atmosphere of trust. Without mercy, we tend to cover up problems and leave them unresolved. Mercy creates a warm, affirming atmosphere. In the atmosphere of mercy, we're not afraid to admit mistakes as Jesus taught us here, be merciful, and then we will receive mercy. So can you imagine a marriage where mercy is missing? Imagine a church without mercy amongst its members. Merciful are those who recognize the mercy of God shown to them. We say in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive others who sin against us. As we are merciful to others, so our Heavenly Father will be merciful to us. Again, Jill Sayward. Did you notice in in the news and so on, when they talked about her, they all mentioned how she had forgiven the men who attacked and raped her. Mercy.
0: Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Mercy doesn't mean sacrificing purity. Purity stands for a clean, innocent, and sincere heart. Jesus shows us that our vision of God is only clear when we have a pure heart. We can't stand before God and be phony. But we say, aren't the pure in heart that Jesus blessed naive and foolish? How can a pure-hearted person survive in the real world? But it has nothing to do with naivety and everything to do with innocence. There's a world of difference. The pure in heart can be wise as serpents and yet remain as harmless as doves. Their intent is for good and without pretense.
1: And then, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Jesus gives us peace. Peace I leave with you, he said in John 14. My peace I give to you. Then, peace is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. The Lord wants, wants us first to be filled with mm-hmm. the blessings of peace, and then pass it on to those who need it. By imitating God's love of humankind, the peacemakers... Become children of God.
0: Notice, Jesus doesn't say a peace lover, but a peacemaker. Now, we sometimes see peace as just an absence of conflict. And how often do so many of us try and avoid conflict? But peacemakers enter into the conflicts that darkness and sin bring into the lives of people. Peacemakers work to build God's peace there. Peacemakers build bridges in fractured relationships.
1: Some people love to fight. They think it's exciting. Is not making peace a foolish waste of time and money? Well, it hasn't worked in the Middle East where agitators on all sides ceaselessly instigate mayhem. Yet in Matthew 5, verse 9, Jesus calls the peacemakers blessed. Why? Why? On our planet, there's no peace. But imagine a world where nobody tried to referee both the, the sides. It would descend into complete anarchy. Humanity exists in a constant state of hostility. Animosity between people and God, between nations, between governments and their people, within churches and families. They're an ongoing fact of life. Pe- peacemakers bring a sense of calm to a potentially escalating situation. Personal sacrifice as they stand in the gap. While some love a good fight and look to create strife, only peacemakers are blessed to be called children of God.
0: Blessed are those who are persecuted, for the sake of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and so we come to the end of the beatitudes as jesus concludes with his this final blessing and this is the one he stresses and elaborates on the most because he then makes it personal and directly applicable note the pronoun shift blessed are you When men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you.
1: So again, why did Jesus call the persecuted blessed? How can the Harris be blessed? Some estimate that 60% of Christians today live in countries with heavy restrictions on religious freedom, and a quarter of Christians suffer mistreatment and even death. How are they blessed? If that abuse is because of righteousness, then we identify with Jesus. If we cherish what is right, if we love God, if we love his church, then we'll be hated. We are either on Jesus' side or not. Persecution for righteousness is a sign that we are blessed to be on God's side.
0: In this country, we may not feel we are persecuted, but there are subtle ways of persecution even here. I remember some years ago when I was working as a district nurse, being taken to task by some of my colleagues because my mileage claim was always lower than theirs. I wasn't prepared to add on the odd mile here and there to bump up my claim. It meant they had to change theirs, otherwise the difference would be exposed. I was not popular. When we don't join in gossip we can be looked upon as standoffish. When we aren't prepared to gamble and contribute to the staff lottery, we can be seen as miserly. Jesus said, blessed are you who are persecuted for doing right. But that's not always easy, is it? But Jesus says, rejoice and be glad He was persecuted, insulted, and vilified for us. When we experience just a little of the same, maybe instead of a pity party, we should see it as a badge of honour.
1: So, in conclusion, as we've looked together at the Beatitudes today, we hope and pray that you have seen them as, first of all, a challenge to draw us as individuals. Uh, 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 and as a church, deeper into the heart of God's will for us.
0: And a choice that we can each of us deliberately make every day to seek God's will for us in our lives and in the way we live them rather than the lure of the, the world's way.
1: And a journey where we can discover the joy of God's blessing in the midst of whatever the circumstances are good or bad
0: these are the secrets of heavenly thinking which take us to that place of blessing
1: and we'll finish with a reminder to us of all that what God wants us to for for all of us from the end of the reading from that first reading we had in Matthew 6 in Micah sorry Micah uh, Micah 6
0: he has shown you O mortal what is good And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen.